Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs we have a very special guest, Mr. Matt Finch, who's the head of Mythmare Games. He's the creator of the Swords and Wizardry rule set. He's the initial creator of Osric, and one of our favorite tools, the revised Tome of Adventure Design, uh, currently being released, actually. So Matt, thank you so much for making time uh, with us today. I'm very glad to be on the show. So we love uh, the Tome of Adventure design, and as you were saying right before the show, we occasionally do a, a dungeon design dash live on air where we're mostly using your prior version of Tome of Adventure design uh, very heavily. So we are particularly interested in uh, what changes you made or why you felt that you needed a, a revision or how successful it was. So what was your, what was your, maybe, maybe if, if we have viewers that don't know what that is, what was your initial motivation for making the Tome of Adventure design? Well, it's, um, okay, so for somebody who's not familiar with it at, at all, what it is, is it's, it's a, uh, you know, everyone's played, uh, you know, D&D, so, you know, we, we understand making an adventure. Um, and so what this is, is it's just a bunch of tables for, you know, when I was writing adventures, um, you know, I would come up with an idea and then I would sort of think, well, how did I come up with that idea? Maybe I can backtrack and get another, in, you know, more interesting idea. And so, you know, you and that leads you to begin creating a table if you're taking notes, which I did. Um, and so I would get, you know, there's this, here's an alternative, you know, here's the thought processes going into it. And you start, you know, and, and at least until you're like, okay, that's a brilliant idea. What you've got in your notes is, you know, kind of a table and doing that, you know, ever since the age of like 10, um, which probably wasn't really when I started doing it that way, but, you know, somewhere along the line, I started just collecting the, the notes here, are, you know, ideas from past times I was working on. And so I had this big stack of paper that were sort of semi-formatted tables and then began saying, okay, well, you know, let's finish this table and make it a table. And then I, then I got to the point where, you know, and, and here we're still on really common turf for, uh, you know, any sort of adventure design because they were publishing, you know, tables of all kinds in Dragon Magazine, you know, way, way back, you know, even when it was a strategic review, there were tables. Um, but I had enough of them that I, it, it began to become like, well, what if I put these in chapter order? And what if I put these in an operational order? And then you could start seeing, okay, well, here's a gap. Here's something that I could have written a table for that I never actually thought of writing a table for. And so it kind of stepped up to a next level of, you know, now it's not just here are gaps in this table. It's like here are gaps where there's a table missing um, that could be identified. And to slowly putting that together, um, you know, again, in a binder, uh, you, you know, you began ending up with something that was more of a, a soup to nuts. This covers the entirety of the process, at least if you do it, you know, in a similar way to the person who's writing the tables. Uh, you know, you, you start getting a branching tree kind of structure. And what it ends up with, and I'll go ahead and show this. This is the first time ever before seen on air. One of the actual oh, copies uh, <laughs> of, the new, of the new book. Because um, they're oh. actually at the, they're at the warehouse right now. But 
because October is crunch time for shipping stuff out, uh, they're not actually going to be out of the warehouse and going to people until early November. But we do actually have, you know, the, the copies of them. So what it is, um, wow. you know, it's just, it's, it's tables. Um, and you can start, you know, in various places because it kind of depends on what your initial inspiration is, whether it's, you know, a mission or whether it's a monster um, or whether, you know, you, uh, you know, as a DM, you might actually get your inspiration from just, you know, here's a patron who wants to hire people. What is this guy's motivation? And by stepping it out from the players into the, this other person, you get their, their motivation and that gives you an idea for an adventure. You know, if you've got a gnomish alchemist, that might give you parameters for a type of adventure that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. And so rolling up a gnomish alchemist, you know, gets you started. A lot of it's about getting you started. And then later on in the book, there's more that's more about filling in details. Um, you know, if you know that there's a throne that's a part of a thing, for example, you can roll up some attributes of a, a throne um, that once again give you enough to work from. A lot of it has to do with giving getting you enough to work from to get the, cre the creative juices started. Because starting with a blank slate cre creatively is very, very hard. But starting even with randomly generated starting points, um, there's a process in the mind called apophenia, which is simply, it's, and it's not a disorder, it's just something that it's described a human thing that we do, which is filling in patterns, um, which is very important, you know, if you're hunting on the veldt or whatever it is that, you know, prehistoric humans did. Um, it was very important to survival for us to be able to look at a couple of cues and put together a pattern. And a lot of times we do it wrong, but it's better to be able to do it in the first place than not. So that's why you also see, you know, people see Elvis, you know, it burned into the side of a piece of toast, but it's also really, really useful for creative endeavors to have these starting points, which is why, you know, creative writing people do writing prompts. Um, and so in terms of that apophenia thing as well, um, there's another level, we talked about why a new edition, why a revised edition, because I've kept the tables exactly the same, because the book, you know, it's been around for years and years, it's something of a classic. Um, I did want to ramp it up a little bit, but I didn't want to totally change what it was that was in there. Um, because I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be going and wanting to get the original. So the tables are almost exactly the same. Um, However, what we've done is we've added the, these margins, all of this black space here with the white text. All of those are teeny tiny little micro prompts is what Susie and I usually call them when we're talking about them at the house because they're not a complete idea. But the thing is, if you're generating something from a table and it's still missing something, which you often get when you're table generating something and you need a little bit of thing, you get stuff like, I'll just read out the ones that are here on, on, on the left-hand side of this page, interacting forces. Um, carpenter, bronze gates, rescue the captives, flowers in the shadows, uh, silver boots, law versus chaos, consumes a particular resource, face in the earth. I'm now down to here where my thumb is on that one side of that one page. There are thousands of these in the book. Um, and that, that gives you that you know, that additional jolt, if you, you know, roll on a table and it's either something that's so mundane, it's like, you know, oh God, well, I, I would, that's what I, exactly what I would have thought of if I hadn't rolled any dice. That gives you the extra oomph. Or if you roll something where you're like, well, that makes no sense whatsoever. What's the missing link? Then you can go to the thing and, 
do a missing link. And there's also a bunch of different games you can play with these things too, because you can be like, all right, what comes next in the dungeon? And just open to a random page, put your finger down on one of these little adventure prompts. And it's astonishing how well that works. I didn't think that was going to be something that would really do it, but it's really surprising how a lot of times when you're like, what's the next thing? All you need is a, a little jolt. It doesn't need to be a full ex, you know, multi-part explanation of what comes next. You're, you're, we're all ready for that magic eight ball procedure of you know seeing something that's very, very uh, vague, but instantly being able to put that into context. So long answer. I'm not, I, I've got, I, I should say I've got COVID and apparently one of the things that comes with, with me having a fever is motor mouth. So, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and take your show away from you at this point. And uh, so, so let's go to Dan, Dan, what, what's your comment on my long answer? And then I'm going to go ahead and start again. And then maybe eventually we'll give Paul a chance to say something, but not right now. So, I, I, I love, I mean, I love the thought process, Matt. I love that you have, you know, a specific, you know, philosophical point about why this works, actually. It's a specific psychological point. It's very close to my heart about wanting, you know, tables for me to, like, kind of be objective. If I go, have I used this piece, like, too many times in too many dungeons? Like, maybe I should put it, you know, in a table to have that fairly uh, drop out. And, and the thing that you're adding with the micro prompts you know, on this show, we actually talk quite a bit about improvisation. And we've had a number of improvisers, like, frankly, most of the people that I play with uh, do improv comedy in New York, actually. Those people are so had, funny. Uh, actors, actors are, right? are the most fun people to game with of, of, of all. <laughs> right. Exactly. And we've had uh, Karen Twelves on this year, who has a book on improv for gamers, and she does workshops at, at conventions and stuff like that. So, that, so the, the micro prompts feel very much like an improv team getting on stage and saying, give us one word, right? That, that is actually all you need to get your, your thought matrix going. So that feels almost like eerily compatible with other stuff we talk about on the show. You agree with that, Paul? Absolutely, thank you. <laughs> that was your moment to shine that was your moment to shine paul and all you did was say absolutely i'm building up here yeah i was just so shocked that i got a chance to talk i it took me it took me aback i needed a moment to collect my thoughts um no the book looks me? gorgeous me? uh i just want i just want to say that so thank you thank you for giving us yeah. a sneak peek of it um you know the funny thing well, is dan and i as Dan mentioned, we've we used this in in a segment in our show, um, and um, and the funny thing is, I think we are even coming from different versions of it. So I have, I actually have the the I don't know if it's the original. I have the copies that are like four separate volumes in kind of a soft cover format. Um, oh wow! Which yeah yeah. So and and the funny story is, I actually. Um, won the first uh, volume of that in the uh, for my entry in the 2010 one page dungeon contest. Which Was, looking are back, those the I ones that are that are Mythmere's uh, dungeon design desk book? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yep. that that's yep. that. Those really are very very. That's the earliest version those, of it. Those, those are those are yeah. And then I think Dan has a later print, but but possibly uh, I think Dan, what you're working from is a PDF. Um, yeah, I have a PDF that combined all of them into like about 168 pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm actually really excited to have a, that. Like, I definitely want a copy of that gorgeous looking looking book on my desk to yeah. do this. And, so that and it's even it's even cooler than it than you can probably tell. So if you can see the shine 
coming off of the mm. that that middle piece there. So what what this is the the, the method that this is done by is is uh, called is print is matte, um, but it's with a, a what's called a spot gloss. Um, so mm. the the letters and the gold stuff are shiny, and wow. the and this is that sort of um, really weird soft texture that's kind of a little bit like leather, but it's not doesn't not really like leather because it's too smooth and stuff. But you know, it's it's got a real neat feel to the outside, and then it's and then it's glossy across the thing. Right. So you can get it's actually shiny when you move it. Um, it's a really it, it, one of the nice you know you get something back from the printer and it's a crapshoot because you never really know whether the yeah. you know the design that you did ahead of time you know how's that going to work out once it's in in physical materials in the real world this one actually worked out really really nicely yeah so, so I'm gonna put echo up a, many of the commenters in our chat right now how do yeah, I get yeah. it <laughs> let me give you okay. my money where's where do I get I'm gonna it? put up uh, Hobo Ogre's uh, comment right now uh, so our our great regular commenter Hobo Ogre uh, has uh, said in the chat. He said, "Okay, okay, shut up and take my money." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. Okay, for that. well, the thank you for that. We're, the phase we're at right now is that we are we're fulfilling the Kickstarter that we did, and so we've cut off all um, present orders at the moment, so that we because we're we've just sent the shipping information out. We're we're shipping it via two warehouses. One of them's in the U.S., but one of them is getting shipped over to the U.K. to get broken up at that point and sent out in the EU, and that lowered the shipping costs to everybody in Europe by about fifty percent. So it worked out really nicely. Um, although they're getting their books probably about a two weeks to a month later than everyone else, um, but at a, at a at a really good price. So right at the moment. Um, all that you can get is the is the PDF, which you can get at drive through uh, RPG.com. Um, but uh, you, if you want a hardcover, don't do that yet because we'll get you a a, PDF, a free PDF with the hardcover once we get the ordering back on. Um, we're probably only we're we're gonna have we're only maybe gonna have about 500 copies once we're done with the fulfillment because we were taking pre-orders after the Kickstarter. Lots and lots of people ordered um, books after the Kickstarter. So we're eventually probably gonna have to reprint this and then we'll figure out uh, whether we do that uh, in the US or whether we do it in China because reprinting is always risky because you don't wanna print the huge number that you did on the first thing, which means that it's more expensive for you per copy, which means that you, you know, so there, there's all of all of that. But the, the short answer is um, that uh, there's not at, the, not at the moment a way to buy the hardcover, but there will be shortly. Just we've gotta make sure that we don't create a whole second database of orders that we're going to have to fulfill before we're done making sure that we've got all of the copies out to all of the people who need them in the Kickstarter. So it's responsible Kickstarter management that completely pisses off everybody who didn't happen to have that particular Kickstarter pop up on their Facebook feed while it was going on yeah. and, and yeah. do it. And so, you know, completely understood. It's really frustrating to hear, no, you can't get one. Unfortunately, that is the answer right at the moment. We will have them available as soon as we can, obviously, because we're losing money by not having being able to sell if all you yeah, want I is a pdf uh, though if all you want is a pdf go to drive through excellent and yeah i think, I think uh, you uh, also have uh, a link on your, your website chat. yeah um so and yes so, there's, uh, chat, there's a link in the chat for the i'm gonna talk over you here dan there's a link in the chat right. for folks who are looking for the pdf you can get it right there um and and uh anybody who's coming back and watching this video after the fact on youtube uh, as soon, of course, as soon as Matt has supplied us with a with a link for where you might buy the physical product, it will be in the description uh, here in this video. 
Thanks for that. And I will get I will actually get in touch with you guys and and, and let you know uh, when we've got it because there there may again be a slight race um, based on how many we end up with at the end, and that's going to depend a lot on you know how uh, how Godzilla like the post office is in terms of destroying books and requiring yeah. you know new copies to people and. Um, but we'll 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 know that fairly soon. There's also a possible you know a faint possibility that this first edition will be a you know will will jack up in value as a collector type item. Although, as we pointed out, there are earlier editions, so don't decide that this is an investment opportunity to buy a whole bunch of copies because this is not the actual first print. It's only the first print that Mythmere Games has done, which means that the value is not going to be collectible in the same way as. As Paul's copies are. Paul's copies are probably collector, <laughs> and they're probably marked over with a highlighter and also. You know. <laughs> They've definitely uh, seen some use. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Which is a good sign. Which is what you want out of a product, frankly. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. No, yeah. this this has been a great, great you know book. The the rea the reaction to it, you know, ever since it first came out, you know, with the the four little you know shorter versions of it that that Paul got. Um, the, the, everyone loves this, and um, you know, I and I'm not surprised by that, only because I wrote it to fill a particular need that I had as a gamer, and there really wasn't anything that filled that need. Um, so it, I don't think it's you know hubris to say I'm not surprised that people wanted it because I happened to be in there at that particular moment where there really was a need, and my God, nobody else has done this yet i'm the first one doing it and that didn't really occur to me at the time because i was just like fucking more tables jesus christ i need a table for thrones i need a table for, you know cats i need a table for cows what you know uh filling in gaps <laughs> that's that's what it feels like you know when you actually do you know hit the forefront of the of the new invention type of thing is you're you're actually really annoyed at the work you're having to put into it instead of being like yay i've invented a light bulb so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we find that that always makes the best product, right? Is the is the is the thing where you're like making it because you're like, I want this, I want this on mm -hmm. my desk. I guess you guys can have a copy too. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. right, that's right. And I think in software we call that eating your own dog food, right? You've actually you've actually lived with it. It wasn't just like something on the market to make a buck. It was I right. I actually needed that, and that's a that's a different quality product. Yeah. 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 So how are you using it these days, as 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 a as a gamer? Like, what, when's it come out uh, on your desk? I mean, when's it? When when do you find it on your desk? Oh, you oh, well, okay. So, so when you say when's yeah, it come out, I was like, we just it? Yeah, no, we no, no, just no. talked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just talked about that. It's that on its way out. Way to uh, well, it it comes out uh, pretty much as described um for for how to use it. That is that it's not. I don't really use it at the t at the game table um, because the, the uh, in order to have all of the options, um, you know, these tables are going to be a little bit too slow for use at the table because you've got more stuff. Now, those microprompts probably are usable uh, at the table as a as a pretty useful tool. I haven't really tried that yet because the only gaming that I'm doing right now is at conventions, and co even conventions have been really really sparse in the last you know COVID years. Um, uh, I'm going to go to Game Hall. I usually do bring a copy of it uh, with me to the table, but um, 
So here's the way that I prep for a convention game. The, the, the games that I run at conventions are a, a mega dungeon. Usually people are going into a new entrance of the mega dungeon every time um, because I let people reuse their characters and actually level up, keep their experience, keep their gold. So that does mean you can't go back to, um, you know, it's keep on the borderland again because you've had people who've done keep on the borderland. Um, so I usually, you know, do write up new stuff and that's when I use it. So, you know, uh, a couple of days before, um, uh, slated to run the adventure uh, at the convention, I'll grab a piece of paper. I, I usually start with a map um, and draw a few rooms and interconnections. Um, don't always start that way, but that's usually where I start. Some people start in, in different directions. So I'll sketch out a few rooms um, and then I'll open up the Tome of Adventure Design um, and I'll usually look for something that's like, okay, what's the big theme for this area? Um, I don't usually go to patrons because it's a convention game. So their motivation for going into the dungeon is already set. Um, so I don't really need a patron. That's not usually going to add something. But what I'll look at is like the uh, uh, the what went wrong table or the what made this place dangerous. I think it's called what made this place dangerous. Um, uh, you know, that, that table there is pretty good for saying, okay, here's what it was, but now here's what it is. And that gives me some ideas of what kind of things are going to be there. Um, and so that's mainly how I use it. And then usually once I'm, once I'm rolling, I don't usually use it for filling in the, the specific stuff like the, you know, the throne table. I don't really usually go to those very often. Um, although when you do, you really need that table because it means you've really hit you know, creative block on something. Um, so that's that's sort of how I use it. You know, most of my gaming, like I said, is at conventions. We've been moving around so much um, that I haven't gotten an established gaming group. Right now we're uh, uh, in Indiana. Before that, we were in Arizona. We're going to be moving back down to Houston because um, my parents are starting to, to get older and probably need some help driving around and stuff. So we're going to be moving again. Um, and at that point, maybe I'll set up a more regular gaming group. But, you know, conventions are frequent enough that, you know, that really scratches the itch. Uh, yeah. in terms of the emergency basis. I mean, that, that use case sounds, uh, that use pattern, I'll say, sounds very familiar to, to us, I think. And uh, I'm, I guess I'm curious, have you ever considered uh, doing it live in front of the internet time constrained to exactly one hour? <laughs> strange, strange specificity of the request. Completely just a hypothetical made up yeah. possibility. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah we could probably yeah. we could probably do that um we should do that we should do that that would be amazing <laughs> okay. sorry <laughs> to throw that one out there um awesome i will say i'm glad matt you told us about like your mapping process actually because that was one of the things i was going to ask about when we when we have the one hour we come in we usually take a uh you know publicly available dungeon by uh, Dyson Logos is what we usually come in with. And then yeah. we spend the hour stocking it with Tome Adventure Design. And I know that you have a couple tables. There's a place on the map where there's a couple places to help randomly get some ideas for actual layout uh, in the book. So I was wondering how, how often do you use those random uh, you know, layout tables versus just designing it ad hoc? I don't use those at all. Um, th that was something that I felt needed to be in there because otherwise there was no way of generating, um, you know, the, the physical terrain of a dungeon. But I like getting into the whole, you know, now I've drawn a line and that's a corridor. What does that get me to? I'll, you know, draw a couple of rooms off on here. Now here would be an interesting way that you defend that would be if you had a chimney right here and drawing my chimney. So, you know, the, 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 the part of dungeon making that is 
um, fun for me interactively sort of supersedes that method of doing a thing. But I did feel that it was kind of important because the, the main dungeon map creating tool that was out there before that was the one from Gary Gygax's first edition um, Dungeon Master's Guide. Now, mm -hmm. that is actually really cool for generating dungeons, although it will, you know, bring you back to a dead end and tell you that there's a giant yep. room there. Yes, but, it will. You know, if you if you don't if you ignore that you know it's pretty good however what it doesn't do is create something that i think is a really important factor in in good dungeon design which is the um going through a map is like going through a story so you know you want to have places in that map that are significant we have finished this little sub area that has certain characteristics to it. And here is this big, impressive looking door. And we know that that's gonna lead us to somewhere else. And so that feeling of we've completed a little area, here is a thing that we're gonna get to, you know, when we decide to get to it, is you wanna go and check out the giant scary door. Um, and, and those kind of things are lost in purely random map generation, unless you go in and nice. put them in deliberately afterwards. Whereas it is actually built into the uh the system that's in tome of adventure design because it's generated on the basis of these sub areas within a level we're now going to generate the characteristics for this um similar area and then here is some sort of dramatic entrance or transition to a new area and so you're generating the areas and the transitions separately so it's it is baked into the system there that it will do those things and give you that sort of evolving feel that you know we've actually gone we've actually completed things we've done things we've achieved things and here's a, a, an interesting new area that's going to create a sense of mystery more questions to answer um and 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 so that i in in that sense i think that this um adds something to the gary gygax method um simply in the in the way that it's built up and designed in the way that it builds out. Also, it's, it's less likely to run you into a, an existing corridor and tell you that that's where there's a lake. That sounds, I mean, that's so well thought out, Matt. And every, I mean, if anybody, did, to be clear, Matt is one of our top experts, right, in classic D&D and what actually happens at the actual table when you run it, because that is, that is a top-notch analysis that I could not agree with more. Um, and the, you know, and, and, you know, you're making me think of like Bill Webb's rap and ethic and there are those transition parts and, you know, thematic differences within a level that are, that are really memorable to me when I, when I was running that. So those, those are just fantastic points. Is it okay, you guys, if I put up some comments from the queue that have, that have come in recently? Um, so, uh, Perkins, uh, yeah, go ahead, Paul. No, I was gonna say, go for it. Gonna, Do it, Dan. Okay. So, so, um, so Perkins Dearborn a little bit before, if it wasn't uh, totally clear, is a big fan. And Perkins is saying, my adventures have become a little bit samey prior to having this product. The Tome of Adventure Design really helped me get out of a rut with dull or the same ideas over and over again. And I think that a lot of us have that same experience when we look at a blank piece of paper. Um, and that's what it's for, Matt, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's, um, that's why I wrote down the stuff with the tables because you know a lot of us have um you know very recurring thematic um you know fantasy elements to a thing i mean i'm always going back to it's a weird religion behind the whole thing and, and everyone tends to you know have these sort of recursive things or you know some people it's always goblins or whatever it might be and this you know 
will let you get enough of a twist that whatever it is that's working that dynamic in your head, that you can track it in a different way and get something that to the players will be completely new, but that still fits with the, the gear work that you've got going on in your head as the DM. Excellent. And let me throw up uh, yep. Vance's uh, comment here. Let, so Vance me, uh, was saying now, Dan, go ahead, Paul. I'm going to stop you, Dan, because I want to I want to go back and comment on that. Because uh, if you go back and look at some of our dungeon design dashes that have been here on the channel, even just the, the last one, um, which uh, ended up being titled Creeping Doom of the Pumpkin King, I think Dan and I can both attest that, like, that adventure quickly went in a direction that we had never conceived of, right? The whole adventure design of that just from like some a couple of interesting random elements and the the title which i believe is also generated randomly from the book um really pushed that in an unusual a direction that surprised both of us and you can see that in the episode of wandering dms where dan and i are both like what is what is happening here um and, <laughs> yeah, it takes and, on a and, life of its yeah, own yeah yeah i don't think we didn't sit, sit down to write like a, a thematic fall halloween adventure but that's oh. what it became and this was back last summer but great now, if you want to go back and look at it, uh, good timing for that. We ended up coming with like crazy, like, um, I believe there was a, 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 a gourd gun, uh, you know, yep. a, a <laughs> that breathed <laughs> nice. spice, uh, breath at, at everyone, which just, <laughs> yeah, excellent stuff. So anyway, just wanted to relate that because it, it, it and, and so you get well to a point where totally where Paul and I go, well, of course, this is this, right? And a couple of random things come up and then we go, well, clearly, the universe is telling us that this scenario is like this, that we absolutely wouldn't have thought of completely independently and that's, before. That's and absolutely, that's a good point too, to raise that you, you put on your, your most superstitious, this is an omen, this is an oracle mindset when you're using the book and you start looking to the universe for like, what is the universe telling me that this, this dungeon needs to be? And, and that really helps because that's exactly the mindset you need to be in when something gives you a little cryptic clue, you know, because then you're like, aha, I have it. And, and you go from there. So that, that's exactly the, that's the same mindset that I use as well. That's awesome. And uh, so here's uh, Vance's uh, comment yeah. question. That, and I'm going to uh, reach out and grab my book to answer that. So the, awesome. the question is, it's, you know, the, the, the original one was 300 pages. Um, what's the bulk of the, of the original content? The only original content, uh, in, in this one that is new from the old ones, um, other than I guess artwork pieces, um, is 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 this um, marginal information here, which um, how is that responsible for so many more pages? Well, partly it's because you still need to have a margin in between that and the rest of the text uh, when you're doing it. So this this text is not put in here with no effect on page count. It does actually have a big effect on page count. But the other thing is that for readability purposes, uh, most of the tables, take up more room than they did when they were originally more scrunched together. And there are, you know, there are basically two schools of thought on using a book like this. Um, one of them wants it scrunched together because it puts a lot of the ideas closely similar, you know, on the page next to each other. But the other, pro the other problem, of course, is readability that for most people, this kind of spacing, and I have no idea whether the page I'm showing here is, is, is a good example of what I'm talking about, but, um, you know that uh, uh, having a you know the sort of spacing that we've got in the book is more traditional readability. You know, sort of on the uh, you know Wizards of the Coast. You know, just general uh, 
parameters of, of what you want to have in a book when you're reading it. So, um, you know, we went with the, the, the readability, but the, there, there is no, you know, like I said earlier, there, there are no additional tables in this book. So if you've got an earlier version of it, there's no need to run out and buy it and feel that what you've got is incomplete in any way. Um, it, the, 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 the new stuff is just that Apophenia engine, the stuff on, on the margins. Um, and then the, uh, the text is a little bit more spaced out for readability purposes. So that's, that's the reason for that. I love that phrase, apophenia engine. That's, 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 that's a lovely <laughs> turn of phrase, actually. <laughs> like for me, I brought, like me, I probably would have named the book that. I would have called it the apophenia <laughs> engine and nobody would have bought it. And, and you're doing, you're being much wiser than I would be. <laughs> well, I think you know I I may do I may do a book called Ap the Apophenia Engine, but I, I think what it would be would be just those little prompts in there. And I think you know there may be call for a book that really is you know just prompts. Certainly, there probably is call for a PDF of that. So you know I'll, I'll get to work on that right away. But. Uh, uh, <laughs> And if viewers have any other requests for particular products that Matt needs to write, feel free to get them in the chat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've got one in one in the hopper right now. Uh, great, awesome. So the awesome. other thing that we 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 touched on before the show started a little bit is, of course, we're also big fans of your swords and wizardry uh, retro clone. And you know, a lot you've had a lot of products that were branded, you know, for swords and wizardry rules, and it's certainly you know compatible with classic D and D and stuff like that. So I guess you've had you know some ideas about a possibly a new revision of that in the future. Is there anything you can tell us about that publicly, or is that all secret at this point? Uh, no, it's getting it's getting less secret at this point. So. Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, most people know that I was with Frog God Games, uh, you know, went off to go you know, start my own, you know, thing, you know, and, and with me went Swords and Wizardry, Tome of Adventure Design. Um, not all of the stuff that I'd written for Frog God, you know, I left some of that with them. The, but the, so uh, we're going to come out with a, a, a one volume uh, set of the Swords and Wizardry rules and what that uh, Swords and Wizardry complete. <laughs> and what Swords and Wizardry complete is um, for anyone who, who doesn't know, it's basically the original, very, very first Dungeons & Dragons rules, which came out in a, uh, a, a box, uh, a little white box or wood grain box um, with three books in it. Um, and then there were some supplements added to it. There we go. Um, so the what Swords and Wizardry complete is, is it is the books that were in that box, plus all of the supplements, plus uh, articles that were in the strategic review, some of the articles that were in early Dragon Magazine, up until the point that TSR uh, published Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which made some, uh, uh, some underlying changes to the way that the game operated. But original D&D had actually gotten to pretty much the same scope of Advanced D&D by the time that they flipped it over. It's just most people don't realize that because not everybody was going through each and every supplement for each and every rule, reading every issue of strategic review, but it, it had gotten to a quite a, uh, a broad uh, scope of, of gaming potential uh, by 1978, I think it is, is when uh, they came out with Advanced D&D. And so that's what Swords and Wizardry uh, complete is, is. It is those original Dungeons & Dragons rules um, compiled um, uh, and, and and put into a you know a system for people to use using the open gaming license, um, 
and I've lost track, you know, again, I'm going to blame that on COVID. It probably would have happened to me regardless. But so anyway, that's what Swords and Wizardry is. We're going to come out with a one volume, a, a new one volume uh, version of it. And this is the first time that we've ever, you know, there's, there's always been a bunch of people who said, you know, hey, you, you got this, you know, wrong when you went through the OD&D rules. I think it should be this. Most of the time, I still think I'm right when somebody disagrees with me. And if you, and you kind of have to have read the OD&D rules to understand how reasonable minds could differ about what was even being said. Um, but trust me, if you've read the original D&D rules, reasonable minds can differ about what's being said. Um, but we are going in and um, doing a few things where, you know, I'm endorsing the fighter's parry ability um, as, as being definitely part of the thing, um, which explains why fighters are not the best fighter. You know, clerics get just as good as fighters at a, a certain level in terms of their to hit because they advance more rapidly on the experience point thing. So the question is, why would I play a fighter? Well, I think part of the answer is that parry ability. Um, we, we've uh, made a, a, a minor change on the fighter saving throw. We've fixed the thief uh, climbing ability back to match more closely with the original edition. Um, there are a lot of changes. Um, we're putting in some new monsters, the Otug, the Nightmare, Night Hag. Um, the dog is going in officially. Um, so you know, <laughs> things things like this. Uh, we fixed the treants uh, damage for the smallest size. Uh, we moved the carrion creeper closer to the original carrion crawler that was in there, fixed the phase spider. Um, I made a ruling about the movement rate uh, in combat that it's it's probably not one third um, that it would actually be faster. You can take your full movement rate in every round of a combat, um, and that was theorized based on the fact that you know you, they give you a movement rate, and but it's half you move half your movement rate in a, I mean you move twice your movement rate in a turn. So when is it that that's actually your movement rate? Well, okay, well let's just say that it's in combat. <coughs> Because otherwise, it's glacially slow moving around, which a lot of people have pointed out. You know, you, your your movement rate in, in combat could be done, you know, backwards hopping on one leg and mm -hmm. is, is about what that movement speed would be. So, you know, there's just various things, uh, you know, that, that are um, updated. They are not me saying, hey, I think we can make this game better this way. They are me saying, okay, I think that the version that we've had up to here might not be the best reflection of the original rules as they were written by Gary Gygax. So here is a change to bring it closer to, uh, you know, the historical experience of actually playing OD&D um, as closely as one can divine from the books, which are, again, fairly oracular themselves in terms of the descriptions. Oh, you know, I so. could talk to you about okay. this all day, Matt, because this what you're talking about is very similar to the work that I do on what I call my original edition Delta, Delta being my nickname, um, house rules for OD&D, actually. And it's and we, we totally agree that there are these big lacuna, these big gaps in original D&D that you've, you've got to fill in in some kind of interpretive way. And different people fill it in different ways, and particularly if they've run into other games later. And it's really surprising to me that I still you know, dig into some text now and wind up possibly flipping my mind about a particular issue years, years later. And like the thing that Paul and I were talking about a, a lot last year is that I wasn't honoring uh, what we've come to call the sweep attack rule of fighters versus goblins or whatever, getting, you know, their level number of attacks. And for a long time, um, I wasn't honoring that in my original D&D &D games. And I came around to say, no, that's totally 
part of the core mechanic from Chainmail to original D&D through first edition. And, and, oh, yeah, then I, and then to my surprise, I realized that that rule has actually been retained in some way in every edition. If you, if you, look, in the, if you look in the right place, even in fifth edition, they still have that as an optional rule. So, um, so I've, I've made that, that same kind of fine-grained inspection and about all these exact, these exact same issues that you're bringing up, actually. And that feels very, uh, that really makes my, my heart feel really warm and fuzzy that, um, that there are still improvements to be made like that, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're, and, and the way that we're going to do it um, is uh, a, little, a little unusual, um, I guess. We're, we are going to do first a print-on-demand version of this book um and we've got we're getting a, a a cover from brett barkley um for that and that will um you know be particularly useful for people who are outside of the u.s um in that you know shipping is usually a lot lot less if you're if you're doing print on demand because it's printed in whatever country it is they're going to deliver it um and uh, and it will also serve the drive-through RPG market, where you've got a lot of people who only do their purchasing on drive-through RPG, so they want to have a print-on-demand version of anything that's out there, so that they don't have to go outside of that you know little marketplace that they've got. Um, so we're going to do a print-on-demand version first, and we're not going to uh, crowdfund that at all. Um, and that's largely just because you know at the moment there's not a fully supported you know since we left frog god um there's there's not a you know, fully supported rule book out there so here's the Mythmere games version of it in print on demand um and then we're going to do one that has the uh, the same content um in a kickstarter probably mid to late next year um and that one's going to have an arrow lotus cover um and uh, and it'll probably have a, a higher quality uh, binding than you can get on print on demand because print on demand all that you're able to get is glue binding so we're probably although not guaranteed probably do a smith zone binding on that one um so that'll be kind of the higher end thing and then that one uh you know if it goes to distribution we'll have a thing that we can you know send out to distribution um you know people who are looking for the higher quality of the thing um so that it's going to be a two-phase uh process one that takes advantage of the, the benefits of the print on demand market and then one of them that takes advantage of the Kickstarter thing because obviously, you know, Kickstarter is a great way to let people who have not heard about a product hear about it for the first time, even if it's something that's been out forever. There are still a lot of people who've never heard of it at all. Um, so that's that's how we're going to do a two-step release on on the new uh, new and improved Swords and Wizardry rules out there. So we had the uh, let me throw up a, a question from, uh, uh, this was another Eric actually, um, was asking. So as one example of, of, the, of the many things that were in original D&D, uh, would this new version include the psionics and uh, which, which had, you know, very extensive rules in, I think, Eldritch Wizardry supplement, I think, and also domains. Is that going to be part of it? Uh, psionics is not. Um, and that is a legal issue. That, that one thing to, to keep in okay. mind: we're we're in a a market mindset right nowadays where people um, make the assumption that you can copy whatever you want to from old books because it's been allowed in certain parameters by Wizards of the Coast, um, and so all that people see is the stuff that comes out um, legally. But there are some things where if something did not make it into the open 
in, into anything that's under the open game license and if it didn't make it into one of the system reference documents um, and so you can't then you can't retro engineer that um, and the problem with psionics is that psionics now and the psionics that went into the system reference documents were utterly different from the way that psionics were done in original Dungeons and Dragons, which gives you no toehold to recreate that thing. You're, you're straight up looking at a copyright um, prohibition on stuff like that. And psionics is one of those. The illusionist is another one of those areas. Illusionist magic changed so much before the SRD that you can't retro-engineer your way into the, the illusionist that showed up in strategic review. Um, so psionics is, is one of those areas. Now, domains, um, not sure whether you mean strongholds or spell domains that way. I'm, I'm assuming Probably, you mean strongholds. Uh, strongholds. We were actually, our episode just last week, Paul and I were, had a chat about strongholds and the you know prospect for high-level gaming. So I, I bet that's what's on his mind with that. Okay. So um, the there is some information on strongholds that's already in there, like you know how to build a castle, so on and so forth. There, there are no uh, domain management rules in there, um, and uh, the other thing that a lot of people ask for that we haven't done is the if you if you randomly run across a castle in the wilderness, there are some very flavorful descriptions of what might be in that castle and what it will do. It may be, you know, Balrogs that come out and challenge, you know, if you've got a cleric in the party, they're going to challenge your cleric to a joust, uh, you know, th this, this kind of thing. That's, that's not in there just because it's not really, um, it's not really usable if you're if you're generating terrain because you otherwise you if you keep crisscrossing the countryside originally eventually it's it's shoulder to shoulder castles everywhere because every time you roll up a castle you know it, it sticks there so that's that's one of the reasons that i haven't put that in there and the other one is the is again the copyright issue is if you get something that's super flavorful uh occasionally there's copyright risk there and so that's you know uh that's that's there as, as well so uh, the answer to both of those questions unfortunately is is no no i'm not uh not adding anything more about castles. I'm not adding anything more about psionics. But it's not because it's not because I don't want to. It's because I can't. I'm glad you're being careful about that. I'm glad you're being so scrupulous about those issues because we would we would hate to see uh, you know problems arise like people who are sloppy tend to have happen to them. And that's the opposite right. of sloppy. <laughs> oh, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. <laughs> I've seen. I just, I've try, seen and true be, I just try and be careful. I try and be careful. Uh, you know, let me just ping you. Let me just ping you about one thing. So I, you know, I was looking at Swords and Wizardry, and I have you know a really early copy from I think 2011. And you know, there are some changes, at least in that in that edition. And one thing when we've been using Tome of Adventure Design, and we've been making our adventures that I actually have struggled and been doing some work on recently, actually was the um, the treasure system in Swords and Wizardry, which is the very last thing in the book that I have, is a little bit different. You do have a concept of challenge levels for monsters, um, which I suppose, which is very similar, I guess, monster levels, I guess, at one point. And then right. instead of using the lettered treasure types, A, B, C, D, E, F, you have treasure that's, that's keyed to the challenge levels. And a certain amount of, as you get that, as a certain amount of um, you know money comes up per challenge level, then maybe there's a random chance that it turns into um, a high uh, you know a high pre a highly precious item like a gem or jewelry or magic or stuff like that. 
So I feel like that's that's a significant um, and I, I personally, to me, useful revision. Has that continued to work well for you? Uh, I think a lot of people trip over the way that that system works, and there, and that's one of the things that I'm changing in here is that there is a new, uh, a new treasure generating system in this version of it. Um, it is still not a, still not really a treasure type thing. It's still linked to the value of the treasure, um, because that's fairly useful to have something that's like okay so this you know especially when you're talking to beginning dms um and it's much less of an issue for for experienced dms but your beginning dm is is very often like well how hard should the monsters be and that's why there's the challenge level thing and it was in ODD, as you pointed out it was just the the level monster and so there were only 10 levels of monster um that i would call objectively a design flaw because if you're gonna go ahead and dis and, and distinguish monsters by level uh, it's more than ten, um, so you know that I think is just a, a, a an artifact of the fact that it was early days in the in the game and in the game design. But if you're going to do that, that's not the right answer to it. And so what we've done is we've kept the same concept in there, but it's spread out more with the challenge level sort of concept, and also with treasure. How much treasure should I award? Um, and so again, in here there is it is linked to value. It does still have the ability to pop up uh, a very very valuable item in a treasure um because that's part of the fun of it i think is that you know that, that it's not going to absolutely every single time be you know you killed a monster of this particular you know difficulty level here's your 4000 gold pieces you know it you, you know it's, oh my god we got a you know a, a deck of many things um so that you know that's still in there um but uh i've i've altered the way that it works to make it make there be fewer steps and tweaking along the way as you're generating it because that that whole trade out system the fact that you first you did a thing then you went back to go in and see if it was different um that as a procedure that was clunky and and it was definitely making a lot of people not understand it so that that is one of the the, the treasure system is one of the revised things in this version okay Great. And, you know, while I have you here, let me just ask this. I, you know, because I've been thinking about it a lot myself and I have my own uh, answer to this, but, but why not use the original treasure types for monsters in a dungeon? Why are you not doing that? Copyright. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Great. Copyright and the fact that, that it's, it, it's also um, inherently vague because you really, you only used those treasure types um, in the outdoor tables, when you ran into the full, uh, you know, possibility of the set of monsters, um, and so later editions tried to fix that by saying, "Here's the monster's individual treasure as opposed to their full-on mm -hmm. treasure type." Um, but so I figured, okay, so if I've got this copyright problem with the treasure types in the first place, let's go ahead and use that to fix what is, you know, I, I don't like. I, I try not to rewrite Gary Gygax when I'm working with this, but when I get to something where I'm like, okay, here's something where I have to do something different, then I will look at what is the general complaint about the way in which this operates and see if I can fix that. And I think the general complaint about the treasure types uh, approach is that 
it really didn't interact properly with dungeon treasure in the first place. It worked great with the outdoor treasures, um, but not so much when you were taking a you know a, a, a number of those monsters that was defined elsewhere from a different table, and then saying you know here's your one orc, roll his treasure type, and it's based on a tribe of orcs. It just did you know there was a, there was something that could be improved there in terms of the overall description so that's how i went ahead and did that i know there's people that's going to disagree but i 100% agree with that and now now i am super excited for the next edition of swords and wizardry <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> fantastic <laughs> Uh, you know, okay, let me do here, Here's one question from Bill Rubine that he threw out earlier as we kind of get close to the end of the hour. So Bill was asking earlier, is this, and he's asking about the, the Tome of Adventure design and how close it was to your heart. Is is that your favorite of all your work or is, is there another one that's your favorite work? That's, that's funny that you'd ask that question because I was actually recorded a, a podcast yesterday um, where that question was, ans was, was asked. And so I'll, I'll the answer to that probably be out on Monday, but the uh, the answer to it is that um, I would say that Tome of Adventure is there's there's different what you know when you when you write a bunch of stuff you like different things for different things for what they do. Overall, I think I'm most proud of Tome of Adventure design out of the things that I have written um, because you know unlike you know Swords and Wizardry, I think probably did more for the gaming community, but that was my skill, not as a game designer, but as a, as an attorney, re, you know, using those skills to rewrite something that Gary Gygax had already written and just put it in different words. So there's, you know, there and there's there's a bunch of creativity involved in figuring out how to fix and do and and thingy bob and thingy bob and thingy bob. Um, but you know, you know, so I'm I'm very proud of Swords and Wizardry, but Tome of Adventure Design is much more my own. Uh, type of stuff, and it was an innovative idea that I came up with. Um, so that's uh, you know, I, I think it's probably Tome of Adventure Design. Um, I'm I, I really like um, Spire of Iron and Crystal, uh, which is a, an adventure um, that I wrote much much smaller. I'm very proud of that one. Um, but I, I think overall, uh, probably Tome of Adventure Design is 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 the thing I'm the most proud of. We are very glad that it's uh, that it's back available in a revised form. And uh, again, people can go to uh, RPG Drive Through RPG, or uh, you go to MythMirrorGames.com, and Matt's got a link um, mm -hmm. to get it there. And boy, the, uh, the the new hardcover version just looks exquisite, amazing. Yeah, it turned out well. It was nice because you, you know with cover design, especially when you're putting you know making decisions based on what something's going to feel like tactile, where you've got no idea. It's nice to have it come out the way you were hoping. Yeah, that's fantastic. We are just about out of time here, Matt. So, is there is there anything else you wanted to add about uh, Tome of Adventure Design or or Swords and Wizardry or anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to make sure you got out there? I don't think so. I mean, just so to tell people, you know, we've got the books. Uh, Tome of Adventure Design is at the warehouse. Um, there's a delay on the on the warehouse's side in terms of when they're going to be able to get it out. It's going to go out in early November. Um, I'm assuming that they mean you know first week of November on that. Um, so that's where that stands. Next uh, Kickstarter after that is going to be City Encounters, um, and there are uh, you know a bunch of stuff that's been done with that. And, you know maybe come back on the show and talk about that when we're getting close to launching uh, that one. Uh, we're going to release without a Kickstarter the uh, 
the revised rules for uh, Swords and Wizardry in a print-on-demand version. Um, and then later on, we're going to do a Kickstarter for a, uh, a more traditionally printed version of that. Um, and I think that's probably all of the, uh, the updating that I've got. Awesome. And I hope we can. Get, I do hope we can get you on for a for a dungeon design dash. And um, Stephen Wendell was saying you should do that. So thank you, Stephen, for the. <laughs> yeah. Uh, viewers, if you're looking for links to any of um, uh, any of the works that that uh, Matt was just mentioning, uh, many of them should be here right now in the description uh, text of this video on YouTube. Um, and we certainly will be keeping our eyes out here. For updates, especially uh, when when that uh, beautiful print book comes uh, becomes available for sale again, and I'm sure we'll push that news out uh, wide and far. So uh, check back here, and uh, and uh, we'll let you know what's uh, what's going on. Definitely, and of course, remember that you can like and follow and subscribe to us on YouTube or Twitch or Twitter or Facebook or GitHub or TikTok, and we do have the handle Wandering Dems on all of those sites. So um, follow us there, and you'll get updates on the next time that Matt shows up. If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Uh, those podcasts are available at our website at wanderingdms.com, as well as through various podcast carriers, such as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast. If you're listening to us right now on one of those third-party carriers and uh, you have the ability to, please rate and review our podcast there on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And as usual, a huge thanks to our patrons who support the show here. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering dams. You'll see a couple different tiers. And of course, one of our main features is after party chat, which you get access to our Discord server. And we'll be about there, we'll be there in about 10 minutes to continue the conversation live with our patrons. And we hope that we'll see you there, as well as other features like behind the scenes stuff. And when we release our dungeon design dash documents, you get that and a uh, new painting room and uh, game organization on our Discord server, so a whole bunch of stuff. Hopefully, you'll also look for our other shows uh, coming up this week. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow night playing more Pool of Radiance uh, from the games from the Elder Times. And hopefully, you saw our uh, continuing D&D uh, war game show with my Book of War classic D&D war game rules. It's kind of like Swords and Spells or Chainmail a little bit but I think it's a little bit easier to learn. So I'm playing that every other Thursday night with Dan Cullinan. So uh, feel free to look at the tape from our game last Thursday, and we'll be back next week, next Thursday, for more classic D&D miniature wargaming with Book of War. So hopefully you'll look for that on Thursdays. Um, Matt, thank you immensely for making time out of your day and telling us about you know some of our favorite products with uh, Tome of Adventure Design and Swords and Wizardry. Hope we look forward I to having you back. That's 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 awesome. And if you have the ability to get me into your Patreon Discord and you're doing your post game thing afterwards, I'll come and talk to your patrons in the Discord after the show as well. Which I am, and I imagine somebody could even go and you know subscribe to the Patreon, you know, and, and add that tier and stuff like that, and be able to get there if, if we can make that happen. I've got a free hour, so I can do that. Look at that. Paul, what is it going to cost people to get in the live chat with Matt today? Uh, you get access to the uh, after-party chat even at our beginner uh, $1 backer tier. Uh, although, so it only costs a dollar. Uh, you know, only costs a dollar. Come, come and join us. If, and, te and if technologically you can get me in there, because that's the other thing as well. Yeah. Oh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work on that. Uh, we'll go. <laughs>
<laughs> I'll go join your Patreon. I'll I'll go join. I'll jo- I'll, I'll I'll back the Patreon. Oh my god, the, the Patreon. So. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you so much. <laughs> but you're gonna oh, have to re- you're gonna have to repeat for me what the link is to get your Patreon. Tell me that. Matt, we're gonna get you in for you get in for free. Are you kidding me? We'll say, I'll, okay. I'll send you a link by email right after the show. You, you get it. All right. You get it for free. Yeah. Look at that! Yeah. Amazing. So, viewers, don't forget we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So, we hope you'll join us again next week. Next week, we're gonna have Jim Davis from WebDM. So, the the big star guests uh, hits keep coming. So, we'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us then for another thought provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone. <laughs>